podcast this week, we have spoken, or we will be speaking to John Favreau, creator of The Mandalorian, as it returns for season three. Plus, we ask, what's love got to do with the stars Lily James and Shasad Latif? What's love got to do with it? All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, unlike Roald Dahl's books, will not be interfered with or censored. Thanks for listening. This is the way. Bye. Teehee. Only kidding, folks. Here's the podcast. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we are in the studio once again, and this week, there's no Helen. There's no Helen O'Hara. She's off hanging around with visual effects guys, uh, <laughs> watching stuff render in real time. Who knows how those, those sickos get their kicks. Uh, and also, there's no James Dyer. But yeah, no James Dyer at all. But instead, my two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week are the nicest serial killer in the business, Ben Travis. He has returned. Hello, you wait years or months for me to come back on the podcast and then I'm back two weeks in a row. You can't keep me away. Can't keep you away. Uh, you're you're very excited, aren't you, Ben? You're about to go around the corner and uh, do something Mandalorian related after this? Yes, I am off to The Forge. To The Forge Geordie myself. The Forge. Some Beskar, I think? Finest Beskar steel. Yes. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. I'm going to make a teeny tiny chainmail shirt. And then I will be wearing that to the office next week, and you can't tell HR. <laughs> extra, 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 extra small. And it's HR, Ben. Come on. Let's get it right. Uh, next up on the podcast, we are joined by uh, Alex Godfrey. I, again, you're a bit like Sophie Butcher in that you don't have a thing yet on the podcast. Like, I can introduce James as a great big fucking nerd. Helen as the geek queen. Ben is the nicest serial killer in the business. What's what's your thing, Alex Godfrey? My thing is I refuse to be given labels. Um, <laughs> I refuse to be categorized. <laughs> to be easily reduced to uh, fodder for you to make jokes about. We're delighted to be joined the Emperor Podcast by Captain Pigeonhole himself, <laughs> Alex Godfrey. I'm, I'm a bit concerned. D- does it just mean I've got no personality? No, it doesn't. It just means that over the course of your appearances on the podcast, that personality has yet to emerge. <laughs> Well, good luck for today. Because <laughs> I'm really in the mood to be funny today. <laughs> Are you going to go around the corner and get the finest best car steel? I'm going to go around the corner and drink some whiskey. <laughs> Sit on the curb and die. The office drunk. Yeah, that's office my gone. thing. That's my thing. <laughs> Because we are strangely an office of people who don't really drink. Mm, Which is very unusual. Yeah, you make up for it. (laughs) You you take up everyone's slack. I don't want that to be my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Boozy Alex is back at it again. No! (laughs) Old old 12% proof coffee. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't drink. Is that a thing? Yeah, you sound like you know what you're talking about. That's like me talking about sport. Because I was going to go 100%, but even I knew that if you drank 100% alcohol, you would die. Like your insides would be like the, you'd be like drinking the alien's blood. Well, you can have, I think absinthe is a good. 70 or 80 percent is it yeah okay and it's this like little fairy played by kylie minogue <laughs> yeah you drink kylie minogue yeah have you seen uh quantumania <laughs> if you drink kylie minogue's perfume that's got to be that's got to oh, that would fairly... kill you probably <laughs> <laughs> if you wear it you might die I think. is that legal probably? i don't know and that's probably you've expressed an opinion um <laughs> is that, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going to say that that's what you've done uh, but just trying to have a thing it, it, helen's not here so we could probably just do all sorts of libel and it's totally fine. Great. If you libel someone and you don't have a lawyer present, mm-hmm. you're totally fine. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. It's only when you have a lawyer present. No, wait, that doesn't work. 
that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Helen's not here, but I'm I'm going to, in the interest of balance, I'm going to say that, you know, it's probably okay to wear Kylie's signature scent and you won't die, but do not drink it. <laughs> that is that is absolutely one hundred percent probably true. Yeah. Don't drink the perfume, but I have it on good authority from several friends and my wife that Kylie wine is good wine. If you like wine, Kylie Minogue's wine, uh, <laughs> genuinely, apparently, is very. What's good. it called? Can't get you out of my glass. It's uh, it just says Kylie on it in massive letters. Half the bottles have hearts all over them. It's they know what they're doing with the marketing there, but uh, apparently it's right. good stuff. They, they, do yeah. they know what they're doing with the marketing? I've never heard of it. Well, now you have. <laughs> that, is true. that is true. If I've, if we've learned something from this podcast, <laughs> drink the booze. Drink, drink the, the booze. Drink the, the booze, booze, but in moderation. In moderation. Yeah, so interesting. But very few of us drink at the uh, the magazine. Because you mentioned that the media landscape is just littered with boozed, booze people, people who have a booze. I but. think it's about half and half on Empire. You think? Yeah. Half of them are winos and half of them <laughs> are half. drug addicts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, we're all sugar addicts. That's there was true. a box of donuts in the office this morning that oh, has been already hoovered up. Uh, I have been called the office Gannett, and I have to say... I don't like it. It's horrible. <laughs> I think I think Alex, you and I are birds of a feather in this. There was a, a, an occasion a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm you know gannets I'm, of a feather. I'm, yeah, I'm very rarely in the office these days because I'm such a busy international chat setting playboy. But I was in the office the other week, and uh, there was an announcement that you know they do something nice every now and again. They'll, they'll get cakes in for the for the workforce, and and uh, there was an announcement: a cake was coming in at four o'clock, like a lot of cake, like um, patisserie Valerie cake. Yeah, which if you know. T3 Valerie. Top um, I'm, I thought they'd closed, but they're still going, which is good. It's the Kylie wine of cakes. It's the Kylie wine of cakes. Uh, you can wear it in your skin and you can eat it and it's totally fine. So there was a load of cakes coming in at four o'clock and an email went round about two minutes to four that the cakes had come in. And Alex and I, as a hive mind... <laughs> what? Actually, Chris, that's not the truth. I'm getting my uh, oh, are you? I'm having my moment here because we had had the email saying the cakes were coming at four. Yeah, I was in the office kitchen at quarter to four, All right. making a cup of tea. Okay, and the this cakes is... were there, and the I sent a message there. on our Empire WhatsApp saying, "Guys, the cakes are out." Then I was personally invited uh, by uh, somebody who kind of runs the whole office to take a slice of cake to go with my cup of tea. I took the first slice of cake and I alerted you guys. And then I was stood there in the hallway as you and Alex ran, <laughs> physically ran. I was like I Simba haven't... in the middle of the stampede as you it guys was. were legging it to the cake. There was strong Lion King energy. There really was. I did. I trampled a lion on the way, um, but I think he's fine. His son will get over it, the loss very, very quickly. But I... Alex and I, I don't think Alex, you've, I, I've not moved that fast. We ran. People later talked about the noise we made as we ran because we just, we legged it for the cake and they we got there it. first. We broke records. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I think we've now made the Olympic squad. Yeah, which is which is wild, uh, and I, I, the cake was very nice. I had two of those cakes, two slices of the cakes, not two cakes. No, I had two whole cakes. <laughs> <laughs> the office gannet, indeed. Yeah, Jimbo, what about you? Did you eat the cakes? Hang on a second, I, I, Jimbo. I've no idea what you're talking about. Cakes, what the cakes, hell? what cakes? Where did you come from? You asked for miracles, Theo. I give you the JCD. Oh my God, I do not want the JCD. It sounds <laughs> it sounds infectious. Yes, at I best, have parachuted in late. Yes. I, I want to ask you to, to explain where you were. 
lest you implicate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I completely failed to do was go past the Beskar Forge, which is actually yes. between the station and the studio, we talked to about get this. my rusty chunk of Beskar. Now look at I this. Wanted. Now look at this. So last night, yeah. uh, we did an Empire VIP Club event uh, for the Mandalorian. I didn't go because I'm a VVIP. You are. Uh, you'd, already, you'd already had your own private John Favreau <laughs> Q&A where it was so weird. John Favreau and I were uh, driven to James's front room and we were forced at gunpoint by James to talk about the Mandalorian for a solid two hours yeah. uh, and then and then released into the wild. Smother me in Beskar. But yeah, so I did a, a, a one hour long Q&A last night with John Favreau, uh, who's also Poor a John. guest on this week's podcast. You'll be hearing that later on. That's a separate interview. Uh, people are asking me whether that would be available as a podcast for for uh, people who couldn't attend it last night, I don't know. Honestly, it, it, I was I'm not part of those discussions, um, but uh, I would like to if the if we're if the audio feed is made available to us, then I will make it available as a podcast. If it is not, then it is out of my hands. This may um, or may not be the way. This may or may not be the way. But anyway, there is right around the corner from where we record this. There is a some sort of Mandalorian Ford, some sort of promotional thing where you can get some sort of Beskar thing. Forge. What sort of thing is it? It's you like know? an ingot. I mean, it's like it looks more like pig iron yeah. than Beskar. But okay. Uh, but yeah. what about that? that oh, that's good. That, was, that looks like proper Beskar. That was given to me last night as we were leaving the Q and A by Favs. By Favs himself. No way. Yes. What does it say on it? I Apparently, love that. he only gives this to uh, to special boys and girls who <laughs> ask him nice questions on stage. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, so on the back it says. Now here's the thing. Never on speak back, to me again. It says, it says, it says, it says, I don't know how you got this made up at such short notice, but it says, fuck you, Chris Hewitt. <laughs> and your stupid fucking questions. No, it says, the Mandalorian, and this is the important part. It says, the Mandalorian executive producer on the back. So therefore, I am now officially an executive producer of the Mandalorian and I will be invoicing John Favreau accordingly. You know what that is telling you? That's a challenge coin. <laughs> is it? It's a challenge coin. Challenge so I, coins are a thing, and I think it originates from the military, and the idea was certain units would have certain coins minted. And then when you would meet people, you would give them one of your coins, and they would give you one of their coins. And it was like a kind of almost like an exchange of business like card, but much more hardcore. Pokemon cards? A little bit like Pokemon cards, a little bit like uh, John oh, Wick, wow. quite frankly. So John Favreau but, coins... Um, you got to catch them all. Yeah, got to <laughs> catch them all. Got to catch all the fast coins. With that, you could put out like a bounty hunter hit on somebody, or I you could. could just get one drink from the canteen. That's right. Yeah, it's the exchange <laughs> rate for right. those things. I'm not sure about real life usage though, so it might be. Useful. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. This is from the bank of John Favreau, mm. and people will doors will open for me. Mercedes oh. will fall into my lap. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Anyway, we have a question to tackle. And we should get straight to it rather than uh, this flim flam and faffery. Uh, and the question this week do you want to do the bridge one or the one about iconic actors? Bridge one. Bridge one. All right. Is this best movie bridges? Yeah. It's, it's pretty much best movie bridges. Uh, and Jeff, Jeff, yes. Bo, Lloyd, <laughs> and Ludacris uh, are not. And eligible. the ones of Madison County. The best bridge scenes in films that do not include bridge in the title, and this comes from Thomas Allpress, at Thomas Allpress on Twitter. Uh, so that rules out, obviously, Bridge in the River Kwai. It rules out uh, Bridge of Spies. But I th- yes, because Bridge of Spies has the most high-octane bridge There's a good sequence. scene on the bridge at the end. Mm. The exchange is quite tense. It's yes, quite it tense. is quite, quite tense. tense two people moving. walking across the bridge. Oh, come on. <laughs> Can you come at the podcast later? <laughs> I can. I'd go away and come back again. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in hang on, let me see if I can get the name right because I never get the name right. You can't say the bridge from Star Trek. Damn it! Uh 
Rise <laughs> of the Planet of the Apes? It is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. The one, it, yeah. That's a great bridge sequence. The first one, the when they're on the Golden one. Gate Bridge. Because Rise comes before the dawn, and the dawn, which has the war, comes before the war, but isn't the war. Yes. The naming is problematic. But yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, bridge sequence at the end, rocking. <laughs> okay, good start. Temple of Doom immediately yes. springs to mind. If you ask me, like, a movie scene with a bridge, it's Indy on the bridge, gonna chop the ropes with his big machete. I beg your uh, pardon? They will be found, exactly Dr. Jones. You won't. Yeah, Molaram is on the uh, the other side, and, and Indy uh, realises he has to do something absolutely insane to get out of this situation, so he starts wrapping part of the bridge around himself mm. and uh, then starts slicing at the bridge until it gives way. It's yeah. lest tremendous. He, lest he get his heart pulled out of his chest. Well, yeah. Yeah. Which happens. Again. Not ideal. Again, yeah. yeah. Uh, In fairness, he didn't get his heart pulled out of his chest. No. He was just possessed. Possessed. I got another one. Or was he? Because mm. doom. Yeah. Fly, oh. you fools. Fly, you fools. Fly, you fools. The rainbow, Fly, you fools. The rainbow bridge in uh, Ragnarok. It's, uh, I thought you were going somewhere different with that. Um, what, what did you think of that? I think it has very specific meanings in corners of the BDSM community, but carry on. No, I want to hear what you're talking about. <laughs> That's that another sounds one. more Unfortunately, you need to subscribe to Pilot Plus for that kind of story. But, <laughs> is this uh, why you relate? Dire Plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, on, tell us about your rainbow bridge. Is it, is there a, is it, does it have a name? You, you, the Bifrost. The Bifrost, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm okay, but I'm talking about the one at the end of Ragnarok where Which, Hulk falls out off his... Yeah, that's, that's the Bifrost. That's the right, Bifrost. Yeah, so okay. it's it's a physical bridge, but it's also something that Thor can summon with his hammer, with Stormbreaker the axe. I don't believe he can summon it with his hammer. I Not with the hammer, just with the axe. Yeah. Uh, which is also then why they can summon the bridge for the Screaming Goats in <laughs> the very good Thor okay. movie, Love and Thunder. <laughs> Two stars. Uh, Two stars. <laughs> no, that's harsh. It's three stars. Good bridge. Good colours. Good Hulk fight. Good dog thing. Good dog yes. thing. Yeah. What, what, it's got one of my favourite moments in the MCU when uh, Bruce Banner yes. does a face plant into the rainbow bridge. <laughs> that's yes. brilliant. Yeah. Just <laughs> genuinely brilliant. <laughs> it's an amazing moment. Uh, that's, yeah, that's very, very good indeed. All right. We've had some solid bridge moments. I'm going to throw one in. I thought it doesn't. You know, it's me. Is Chris going to mention Evil Dead 2? Yes, of course he fucking is. Uh, there's an amazing moment in Evil Dead 2 where Ash is trying to get away from the evil and he's trying to drive across a bridge and the bridge has been torn up by the evil to stop Ash from getting away. So he has no choice. He has no other recourse other than to return to the cabin where he is tormented with by the evil all night long. I've got one that you'll like. Only in the leap from the lion's head will he know his worth. Only a penitent mammal bash. <laughs> Only a penitent mammal bash. But in Latin, Jehovah is spelled with an I. <laughs> oh dear. That's a fact that I'm never going to forget because of that film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's when's it ever going to come in useful? I don't You're really know. <laughs> you, you were saying solid bridge scenes, uh, a scene with a bridge that is very I prefer much a solid bridge, yes, solid. as opposed to one that is made of gas. Well, well, is this where you're going? Th that's where I'm going. It's, okay. it's not made of gas, but it's a rapidly disintegrating bridge, which is the scene in William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Oh, where they, I mean, what? I say the scene belter. where they have to drive the uh, dynamite over something that is very precarious. That's the yeah. whole movie, but there's specifically a scene where they're driving across. The very, very wobbly wooden yes. bridge yes. Uh, with a truck full of dynamite that is going to explode at any second. Mm -hmm. And it is horrendously tense. It's like, in my memory, it's, it's probably shorter than this, but in my head, it's like a 15 minute sequence of them trying to cross this bridge. It's an incredible mm. sequence. And they, they did it 
obviously, because <laughs> there was no, uh, again, recourse is the word of the podcast, but there was no recourse to CG back in those days. So they, they did it for real. Um, killed four Roy Scheiders in the process. <laughs> <laughs> is there not a sort of magical bridge at the end of Last Crusade as well? That's what he was talking about. That That's the, the leap from the lion's head. Oh, but okay. I, I, I realised in the oh, in yes, the time honoured okay. tradition, we did not identify the film. Yeah. <laughs> we just decided to do some impressions instead. Right. <laughs> That's probably why I was thinking about it because you were just talking about it. I'm um, talking freaking though. I might be getting confused, might. With my whiskey drenched memory that we've already discussed. <laughs> oh, we established, James, before you came in that Alex is the officer's booze hound. Oh, are you doing? We, we haven't established that, and I'm not. <laughs> you did come bursting in here a bit like, you know, William H. Mason. Stinking whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Leaking whiskey. Um, French Connection, is that, is, is that an amazing driving sequence not? Underneath, it's underneath. It's underneath the. It's underneath the, uh, it's underneath kind of the um, the L trains. Yeah, does that, that not that count happen? as a bridge scene? I don't under- think it does, Alex. If I'm, if I'm honest with you, because Why? it doesn't take place on or, well, I, under. Well, br- not specified. I'm okay with under a bridge. In movies. I don't think of that as a bridge scene. I think of that as a as you a just car said you're chase. Okay with it being under a bridge, and you said it's no. I'm, under o- a I'm okay if you come up with a great scene that takes place <laughs> under a bridge, which is fucking does. hell. If you take place, I'm sorry, I'm drunk. If you, I won't remember any of this in the morning. If you can come up with a good scene that takes place under, on, or around a bridge, then I am all for it. All right? But it has to be, the bridge has to be at the center of the action. It is for a it's bit. It's not at the center of the action. For it's, a bit. They zoom past it at 90 miles an hour. That's that's what How they do. Is, is that not enough action for you? It's not enough action. You go you go flying past the bridges. God. Now, later on, obviously, he runs up the steps of the, of the, the, the subway station. Now, is that a bridge? I don't know. Probably not. I've got some action-y ones. Mission Impossible 3. Yes. The bridge sequence where they're blowing up the bridge yep. and Tom Cruise does a Tom Cruise thing where he does a really big run and he has to jump over the big bit that's been Is blown that the in the Keys? middle of the... Uh, in I my head, that's the Florida Keys. Because the only reason why is I always equate it with another great bridge sequence in True Lies, which is also the Florida Keys. But, I mean, maybe it isn't. Either way, I quote them together. I can't remember whether it's Florida or not a mission. I'm not sure if it's ever established, but it does feel like it. But yeah, again, True Lies is yeah. that whole sequence, that whole chase sequence is incredible. Is the freeway in Fast Five a bridge? Well, I was going to say, as my suggestion, Fast Six, oh? which is the one where they're driving, as usual, uh, on the, the sort of <laughs> elevated roads and Letty is flying through the air and Dom <laughs> launches himself off the other side of the road to catch her in midair and again with this being fast last land very softly on the bonnet of a car on the other side of the road but they are on like two separate road bridges in that sequence oh, if i think of fast bridges that's what i that's what i think of but there's probably a bridge sequence in fast 5 as well what's the one where he does a flying headbutt out of a car in fast 5 is that cuz that's on a freeway i just can't remember if it's actually like a bridge freeway mm. or it's just a freeway hard to say doesn't really matter it's a great sequence <laughs> <laughs> the other one that springs to mind uh if i'm going to be typically me yeah. Force Awakens. The death of Han Solo is mm. on a bridge. Oh my god! It yeah. is. And it's so no operatic, and it's so rubbish. I, I just know it's not. How it's so rubbish. dare you? Number one, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, look, I hate to say this, but I'm with Ben on this particular Star Wars argument. Excellent Are film, you, incredible scene. I, I still yeah. think, just overall, in a wider cultural sense. Uh, because people forget how good The Force Awakens is. Yes, I just rewatched it the other week. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why people forget. Because. People are silly. Um, <laughs> and I just think it's a marker of how huge that film was, how much that film did well, mm. that they killed Han Solo they and people did not riot. 
People I, bought it. People yeah. lent into that moment. That's because people, people felt empathy with them. Just please kill me and get me out of this. <laughs> no. Number two, how dare you? Uh, that scene All I is saw incredible. was an actor getting out of a contract. <laughs> That's, it's so not true. The, the miraculous thing is how much Harrison Ford actually gives a shit coming back to play Han Solo. I think in that capacity of it's fine, we'll kill you off. Mm. But he really gives it some. And that sequence between him and, and Kylo Ren. It really Ren works and, for me that a man is killed by his son and we've never seen them share screen time before. But you like, feel so much of that in the way that they play it off each other. Did. Oh, and Chewie's, Chewie's wild. Chewie. Oh, God. No. So if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, then we're still on Twitter at the moment. Um, I think my verified status will be lasting maybe one more week. I don't know. We shall see. But nevertheless, my DMs remain open. You can slide into my DMs, reply to a panic shout-out every now and again, or just reply to one of my tweets, any of my tweets, once you've stopped laughing, of course. Shall we have a guest? Yeah. Who do you want? Do you want uh, John Favreau, who hasn't happened yet, or do you want Lily James and Shazad Latif, who have? I guess we'll have Lily James and Shazad Latif, by virtue of the fact that that interview exists. Definitely All right, because if John Favreau doesn't happen, then you're going to get this interview twice in the, in yeah. the Noah Baumbach <laughs> style. Uh, so <laughs> they are the stars of What's Love Got to Do With It? Got to do with it. <laughs> got to do with it, uh, which is the new rom-com with dramatic overtones, uh, directed by Shekhar Kapoor and written by Jemima Khan, who, of course, um, is the former wife of Imran Khan the legendary Pakistani cricketer and former prime minister of that country. And it is about a uh, a relationship between two people, Lily James and Shazad Latif, um, who have been childhood friends for years. And uh, she decides to film a documentary on him when he decides to have an arranged marriage. But might their burgeoning mutual attraction get in the way? Who the fuck knows? Uh, Anyway, I had a good time talking to them a couple of weeks ago on Zoom, and uh, they're they're old pals and have been for years. And I think that comes across in this interview. I had a ton of fun. Here we go, Lily James and Shasad Latif. Yes, who indeed is Clem Fandango could you from hear him? Toast of London? And I yes, I could hear you, Clem Fandango. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the stars of What's Love Got to Do with It, Lily James and Shasad Latif. How the devil are you both? Very good, very good. Loving life. How you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Both of you crowd around a laptop in a Swiss <laughs> London hotel room uh, at the moment. Thank you for doing this. Uh, how's your day been so far? Been good. Talking a lot about love and love and pain, man. Love and agony. <laughs> <laughs> Has this movie made you rethink your attitudes towards love? Uh, did you, have you come in with very set attitudes about it and then this has maybe you changed it a bit? That's actually true. Weirdly, mm. talking about it a lot is like it's been like a... Therapy. Sort of fast track therapy thing mm. where we're suddenly absolutely realizing all the mistakes I've ever made and then suddenly going, Oh my god, maybe the you know, this I should have done this, I should have Yeah. No, it's shoulda woulda coulda. Shoulda woulda coulda. But no, it's interesting to talk about love for forty eight hours. <laughs> and also you think you're doing a rom com and you're like, Oh, this is gonna be great, I can't wait, ha ha ha, fun, fun, fun. And then you meet Shaker and it's like hours and hours and hours of incredibly philosophical deep yeah i mean i was once whatsapping him for like i felt like a day just going so deep on love and intimacy and identity and i think that is ultimately you know what what makes a film have a bigger sort of underbelly and heart yeah um it's a big emotional core to the movie yeah 
There really is. I mean, I, I, I don't mind admitting I saw this in the, in the working title screen room the other day. And uh, Tim and Eric, I'd like to apologize. I left some crumbs from a sandwich <laughs> on the chairs. Was it? Uh, it was a peri-peri chicken sandwich from the local Waitrose. It was pretty oh. good. But oh. I may also have left I may also have left a little dab of tears, guys, because it because oh. it got me. It got me. I see peri peri and some tears. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been in fairness, it might have been the sandwich that the, the <laughs> A dab of seat. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was yeah. spicy seat. <laughs> yeah, it was also when I looked down at how much a waitress sandwich costs. I, honestly, it brought a tear to my <laughs> eye. But uh, but that's that's the thing about this movie. I mean, I think it is you know it is a comedy and it uh, it 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 is very funny. But it also does have this really lovely emotional core to it, and it goes. You know, I'm not going to give things away, but it goes into unexpected detours and unexpected territory. And I don't think it's quite the movie that you might think it is when you hear the words rom com. Totally. I think we're expanding that genre a little bit. We're sort of pushing the boundaries in within the square of a rom com. We're just mm-hmm. pushing the edges a little bit, saying, you know, you know, there's there's other things here that we're sort of giving you, especially from the South, South Asian angle. You know, that that whatever that encompasses, um, mm-hmm. um, and also, yeah, just just the depth to it, the depth of it. Yeah. So, so how did you both get involved? I mean, Lily, you'd you'd obviously done the uh, the work of title rom com thing uh, before uh, as well so you know you know you're in safe hands with with, with these guys friends. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um well well yeah i i i uh went in for an audition with jemima and shaker and my mum used to keep a scrapbook of jemima so because she was one of few white women that had been to pakistan and 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 so so it was very weird. And I had to tell Jemima that in the audition and, and then Shekhar took the audition to a very deep place. And we yeah. asked, I thought, wait, this is this is a rom com. Why are we doing these like really serious things? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very, yeah, very, very great audition. And then it went away for a bit and then it came back and they said we're trying to get Lily James. And I went, Whoa, whoa, whoa what do you mean Lily James? No, no, I do not want to work with Lily James. <laughs> they went, Lily James. I went, Yeah, she's one of my best friends. And then and they went, What do you mean? And I went, She's one of my best friends. And I said, "This isn't the same as the script." And they, so they called her up really quickly, and then Lily, and then we were praying that Lily said yes. And it was, I was just like an immediate yes, just because Giselle was in it. And then, and then I, but then I did, of course, read the script, and I was so. <laughs> and then I spoke to Jemima, and I was so like bowled over by her script, it, and it really did feel like unique and different, and a story I'd be really proud to be a part of. And Jemima is an absolute legend. I yeah. just love her. And she was so collaborative the whole way through. And she really like has faith in us as her actors. She really listens to us and she's so passionate about this. It's such a love letter to her experiences in Pakistan. And then Shaker directing it. He's just a legend. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Shaker Kapoor, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Golden Age, mm-hmm. Four Feathers. Four mm-hmm. Feathers, yeah. <laughs> He's no joke. He's no joke. <laughs> he knows his way around an epic. Uh, yeah, that's no for joke. sure. Yeah. And, and so he got deep with you guys, uh, right from the off, it, it seems, as well. Yeah. I mean, it, when we first, it was like, oh, yeah, Shaker's going to be like back for rehearsals in a minute. He's just in the Himalayas. You know, like, it's that kind, he's that kind of guy. He's just trying to deep at Chopper at the moment. He'll be back in a bit. You yeah. know, that, he's that kind of guy. <laughs> and, and, you know. He got some good stories. Yeah. And he really cares. He about falling in love with his actors anyway. I mean, yeah. I, felt, I, felt, yeah, I felt that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, There's there was definitely big existential ecstasy. Ext- yeah. <laughs> ecstasy. Examination. <laughs> Existentials. Existentials. Existential. <laughs> Are you okay, Lily? Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> 
<laughs> feels like we feels like we've lost Lily. We may have lost what Lily. Has love got to do with me? <laughs> Just can't shake this movie for the love of God. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but welcome back, welcome back. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I'm fascinated by what he what he how he directed you. What sort of homework did he give you? It, it was long. It, well, yeah, it was these long uh, philosophical chats. And by the end of like two months, you'd realised you'd sort of uh, got the whole script, the whole mm. idea and themes of the script mm. in you, and then talked about the characters in a way that you didn't realise you were doing. It was one of those like mm. mind, Jedi mind tricks he somehow pulled in mm. you. Um, and then also, yeah, because he knew what he was casting. He knew that we were friends. He just knew how to sort of tweak everything. And yeah, it was yeah, it was a very. They fed off a lot of our energy and mixed things around based on the chemistry that we naturally had and that we built. And um, and Shaker was really like just probing all the time to make it as personal as possible. And makes you think of things you never think of. Yeah, director anyway, and you know. And he's such, Shaker's still a child in the best possible sense of like, he's so playful and curious and wants, he, you can, his love for this is still mm. like, it's like he, when you look in his eyes, you see a little boy. And I mean, that would like the, the most, in the most beautiful sense that there's just so much, he's so playful. Um, and he encourages that kind of level of fascination and enjoyment. I mean, and, and also, you, you, what you were saying there about the the fact that you guys are friends, uh, Shazad said best one of my best friends, Lily. Now you you were you seemed non-committal on that. Whenever you he know, said what that, what did I say? <laughs> you, you didn't you didn't say anything. You just He's you, my you, BFF, my best friend forever. For the audience at home, they they just did a little BFF hug. It was it was quite beautiful, quite touching. Uh, brought no, a tear to my eye. Like I love him very yeah. much. I was so excited to work with him because I I've always, we've always been like doing little improv and playing little whatever acting stuff since we were, we all together. Yeah, we shared a lot of great times. Yeah, well, I just feel like we were always in our group of friends as. Oh, that's going to be hard to explain. There's always like a little sort of game of something going on yeah. where we're improvising something. So we're annoying actors. Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you known each other? But we figured it was like 12, years? 13 years. Yeah. 12, 13 years. My God. All long right. time. So we met in our 20s and now we're... Still going. We're still surviving. <laughs> chugging along. Yeah, chugging along. Chugging, uh, chug, chug, chug. Because that, that definitely comes across in, in the film. There's there's you know, there's that chemistry between between Zoe and Kaz, which is which which is the sort of thing because I, I I you know, I've got so many questions about chemistry and you know, I wonder how many times people have been making rom coms and can't stand each other or the director has gone, Oh, there's no chemistry here, but that absolutely isn't the case here, unless you're doing a really good job of acting and you actually do hate each other, in which case, well done. That's why I feel like it is just a really magical, mm. rare thing that we might never experience again. Yeah. It's nice to, to take it in and just be like, one, I made a friend, a movie with a friend with a movie, a movie with a friend, and then also it was a very special experience. Mm. You know, you're going to work stress-free and you're going to work to play, okay. and, and I'll always remember it very, very fondly and you know mm. some of the best times of my life you know? little treasure and we we've sort of like i've never felt so relaxed on screen like i've never felt so relaxed in a scene than with Chaz because it's just like so easy and he's such a like a beautiful calming person too like very soulful really fu really funny but there was an element 
he rubbed off well on me. You know, I can get quite kind of uptight sometimes. And my, I can my... be quite depressing sometimes. I can be quite depressing. No, he's not. He's just so grounding. Of course, Lily, on this as well, you, uh, you don't just star, but you're also one of the DPs. <laughs> because... Oh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. They use some of my footage, you know. That is, and what it was really cool. There's a there's a guy called Julian. He's a focus puller, legendary. Julian, shout out! I hope he hears it. And I, I he, I did my first film with him was Dark Tower. Then we did Mama Mama Mia. I took him to the premiere of Dark Tower. Mama Mama. Mama Mama. And um, <laughs> he is amazing, and he was just always helping me slash taking the mick out of me but he would always like take the camera before and help me with the settings and give me little pointers and you were part of the crew it was always before a take i'd be like where's lily she's yeah in this scene and she's like over somewhere else like doing the lighting and like looking at the camera i was like this is this is great fucking- it was so nice to have that to focus on and i i've always like thought eventually i want to direct and there was something visual about it and i had a lovely subject of shaz mm-hmm. um yeah it was really fun that's amazing. So you're, you're some of so some of the footage. Can you recognise the footage that you shot when you see the film? Really shaky out. And I have to ask as well. Did you did you bill them for that extra? You know, did, did, I should have. Yeah, I really should have. I missed uh, the trick there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm available to be your agent uh, if need be. <laughs> I can negotiate a sweet deal. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. Back end, back end, gross points, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> back end, decimal point, decimal point. Yeah. <laughs> all the jargon. I've got it. I've got it down pat. Um, but you know, you, you've talked uh, uh, about uh, but Shekhar and and uh, and the perspective obviously he brings to it, and Jemima's perspective as well. And there's there's a there's this running theme and runs throughout the movie about the fact that Zoe and Kaz grew up next to each other. You know, number forty nine, number forty seven. And yet, at times, it feels like they they also grew up a world apart. And, and were, were those conversations that that you you had, the, the two of you, but also with, with Shaykar and Jemima? Yeah, I suppose the point is that you can grow up next to someone and, and never know anything about them. And it's mm-hmm. and that classic love thy neighbor thing. And the, the the beautiful thing about Zoe's character, she's curious about her neighbor, so curious that she makes a documentary mm-hmm. uh, about him. And so, if you can grab it, even a percentage of that, anyone, mm-hmm. it would be you know, what does this person do when they wake up? What is, and that mm-hmm. creates uh, less of a divide and more of a union. And and uh, that's a very beautiful thing. It's the kind of thing we need at the moment. You know, um, we mm-hmm. need we need it always. Not at the moment. We always need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unify mm. rather than divide. Mm-hmm. And I started off the, at the beginning asking about love and your your attitudes to love and 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 have they changed? And so there, there's there's this again lovely thread throughout the film about walking into love and you know assisted marriage and you know you know Kaz's attitude towards love and marriage is very very different from Zoe's uh, mm-hmm. and yourselves. I mean, are you are you you people who believe in Different things. Do you believe in the thunderbolt, or do you believe in, in walking into love? And has that changed over the time? I'm Zeus. I'm Zeus, baby. Yeah, I believe in the thunderbolt. <laughs> I'm Zeus. I'm Thor. I believe in the lightning. I believe. No, um, I, I believe in both. I think. I think yeah, you balance of both. I think. I think. Well, anything can work. Using, you know, there's no one way. Mm. It's 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 both things can be true. Mm. Things can be true. I, I we've all probably had the thunderbolt, but then we've all probably had the thing where we go. Oh, it's really kind of nice to feel that anything can ultimately lead to a long-lasting beautiful connection that the main thing is I think that just takes work and takes energy and focus and practice and but I think the ways that you get there are can be you just it's hopefully life will just continually take you by surprise 
Uh, speaking of which, what's happening next for you guys? What are you What are you working on at the moment? Shazad, is that your uh, Captain Nemo beard? Do, uh, just yeah, finished the Captain Nemo. I'm working with Daisy Ridley at the moment, and a uh, script written by Tom Bateman and Sam Yates directing a little noir thriller um, about a, a dad who chaperones his daughter to work. Kind of weird, oh, cool. thrillery thing. Um, I'm not going to give too much away, and <laughs> um, yeah, and Captain Nemo, which should be it takes going to take a lot of post production, but it will be out some point next year. I don't know when. Okay, okay, but you're not doing the post production, right? I mean, that's someone else going to be doing, doing that, that as well. Yeah, I'm, he's a man. Awesome. I, no, 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 I'm not. Um, I am man not of many that, talents. Um, because I don't know anything about CGI. Actually, wouldn't it be amazing if they had to get actors to do their own special effects <laughs> afterwards? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was riding whales and stuff. It looked pretty cool. I, I still don't know how to use iMovie. I still actually don't know how he to use it. He doesn't have an iPhone. I, don't, I, I still don't know how to use it. <laughs> I had like a flip phone for a long time. I, re- I just got my first proper smartphone. With I walked in and I said, I've had a £10 deal for year Vodafone. I was like, I've got a £10 deal. She laughed. She said, no, that's what we have for like the older generation. What do you mean you've only got one GB for a month? And she laughed <laughs> in my face. And I was like, and so I got the unlimited Thing for the first time ever and it was very freeing and i was like i could make calls in australia because i was going there to tell the world he was still a lover oh and you know and so um it was very needed um but i've just got a samsung flip at the moment actually he's the only person i know that still the text messages only go through on green you know they're like it's literally <laughs> only signal and what does that mean because you you don't you didn't send messages on wi-fi because you were just said you you weren't using your data because there are scenes of texting in this movie she said that you have to have a texting double yeah exactly i'm so good at acting so good, like, i'm so good a, B, C, D, e, a b c FG, would like take I whatever. actually do the sort of one finger thing where yeah. you, know, you hold it and do the one sort of press thing. That's my, yeah. that's my style. He's an old, old soul. Old soul. Uh, oh my God, old school. That That is incredible. That is 2023. What a, what a time yeah. to be alive. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, Lily, what about yourself? I'm not asking about your phone plan, but... Yeah. <laughs> An iPhone. <laughs> the newest one. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question? I have no idea what the question was. What, what, are, you, what are you doing next? Oh, um... I'm doing a really cool film actually in um in March. It's a I don't know if I can talk about it yet, but it's like a cool thriller, really different from anything I've done before. Did a couple of films that will come out, really beautiful Italian one called Finalmente d'Alba. Um, cool film called Iron Claw about this wrestling family that Zac Efron just. It's, I think it's going to be really really amazing actually. Um, yeah, I'm floating around, popping up here and there. <laughs> Me and Lily will probably do another movie together yeah. at some point. We're going to do a road yeah. movie. Yeah, what's love got to do with it too? Even yeah, love love's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, love's got nothing to do with it, precisely. Uh, and guys, I might offer to be your agent still stands. I will get you sweet deals. I will get, oh, you, sh- will. I'll get you sweet deals. Get us great sandwiches, pro pro chicken all the Great way. sandwiches, iPhones, the latest iPhone. Well, actually, you know, the, the the last but one iPhone. I can guarantee yeah. you Unlimited that. Unlimited data. Unlimited data, and you will need it because you're going to be doing your own special effects. That is the, yeah. that is the Empire guarantee. Exactly. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Lily, she's had absolute pleasure. Thanks so much indeed. Thanks very much. Thank you, Lovely chatting Thank with you. you. Cheers. Bye. Okay, that was Lily James and Shazad Latif. And the difference in sound quality should tell you that this is Chris recording this at home the day after we recorded in the studio yesterday. Just jumping in real quick for, well, a couple of reasons, actually. Well, maybe three. One, as you'll hear later on, this week's episode was somewhat against the clock for reasons beyond our control. And as a result, when we got to the review section, I actually forgot to review 
what's love got to do with it. So I'm going to very quickly remedy that here. Now, I wasn't bullshitting Lily James and Shazad Latif when I said that I really liked the film. I did. Helen, who reviewed it for Empire, didn't. She gave it two stars, in fact. And if she had been here this week, we might have had a bit of a ding-dong about it. But she isn't. So I will say that I found it a thoroughly and I'll be completely honest, unexpectedly charming rom-com slash dram that I thought actually came down more on the dram side of things, although it is very funny at times. Emma Thompson is great in it, and she more than sees to that. But I also thought it was a very sensitively and respectfully handled exploration of the cultural divide between British and Pakistani attitudes towards love and marriage and family and all that jazz. And I loved the characters. I thought Lily James and Shasat Latif were great together, and yes, I'm going to say it, Tears were indeed brought to my eye right at the end. But then, you know, I'm a soppy old sausage these days. But there's no getting around it. No matter what I think, the official Empire verdict is two stars. Two stars for what love got to do with it. And you have to make up your own mind about whether you want to see it this week. And I'm sticking around here for two more bits of housekeeping. One, the interview with John Favreau, which you'll hear later on, has a couple of fairly big and fairly casually dropped spoilers for The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2 in it. So if you've somehow not caught up with that, and you have somehow not heard about big cameos, etc., then perhaps skip that interview and wait until you've seen The Mandalorian Season 2, especially the final episode. Oh, and the last thing is that we're about to take you into the movie news section, which, when we recorded it yesterday, was, well, a bit of a stretch. Barrels were scraped. I think I even said something like, there's not a lot of movie news this week. Well, clearly, Hollywood, as I've long suspected, has our studio bugged, because then they released all the movie news. At once. And I mean all of it. So, we've actually been unable to reconvene the team today, Friday, uh, which would have been ideal. Which means if you want in-depth Empire discussion of the news at Warner Brothers, it's going to make more movies based on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, or that Succession is finishing after four seasons, although I'm sure James is discussing that on Pilot Plus even now, or that HBO Max has given the green light to Welcome to Derry, not a Derry Girls spin-off, but a prequel show to Stephen King's It, which will see Pennywise the... Dancing Clown terrorized the fictional town of Derry, Maine, and which will feature episodes directed by Andy Muschietti, who of course directed both of the recent hit movies. Or the news that Stephen Yun is joining Marvel's Thunderbolts movie, or the news that Guillermo del Toro is announcing that he'll direct an animated adaptation of Katsuo Ishiguro's The Buried Giant. All of that stuff. If you want to hear us on all of that, then you're going to have to wait until next week, unfortunately. Now, obviously, other podcasts are available but frankly, I hear they all smell, so you'd probably best stick with us. And with that, I think it's time to take you back to the pod and the movie news section. Enjoy. There we go. There's Lily James believing in better because she loves to do the Sky adverts, doesn't she? She loves that. And uh, she's at Latif, had a lot of fun talking to them, and we will be talking about their film later on. Helen didn't like it. I did. Helen's not here. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> what's I what's to, Helen got to do with what's it? What's Helen got to do with it? Uh, yeah. But I did. I had a very, very good time with that movie indeed. Uh, anyway, let's talk about movie news. Luckily, there's not a lot this week. Why isn't there a lot? Make more movies. That's what I always say. <laughs> Make more movies. Well, there was a there was a holiday in the States, which always means a slightly slower news week. What was but, the holiday? The President's, the President's Day. Day? President's Day. Was it? Something like that. Yeah. Although I think that's 
It's, it's, it's a holiday that not everybody needs to. It sounds observe. made up. <laughs> well, it is made up. <laughs> As is everything, really, when you think yeah. about it, uh, including movies uh, on Sunday night. <laughs> that, now that was a bridge. There we go. I'm <laughs> on Sunday, it was the BAFTAs. We don't need American news. We make our own British news. Yeah, about and America the... really cares about the yeah, BAFTAs. They do. They do because uh, <laughs> Angela Bassett did the thing. Yeah, still as Ariana DeBose sure taught us all. Yeah, um, and and that did go viral. That's probably gone more viral than the actual winners of the BAFTAs but it was a big night uh, surprisingly ish for mm. All Quiet on the Western Front which I... to be fair had the most number of nominations at this year's awards that was like the most nominated film but I think there was a bit of an assumption widely that like ah it'll probably do well in the technical stuff but yeah. is it gonna surpass films like Banshees of Inisher in Everything Everywhere, which is still a bit of a wild card, but there is so much love for that film. How will... A lot of hate as well. I've seen a lot of people who said if it wins the Oscar for Best Picture, uh, because the Daniels won uh, Best Director this week at the the DGA Awards, Mm -hmm. the Directors Guild of America Awards. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and, and elsewhere uh, basically saying that this is the end of the Oscars this is the end of award shows this is the end of cinema as we know it's, it it's just genre snobbery isn't it? it is genre snobbery but it's also it's just like this thing which is I, I feel really really fresh and modern and new and is leaving a lot of people behind I think there, there's a little bit of, of that a little bit of fear about being left behind um, but anyway but All Quiet on the Western Front won seven awards at the BAFTAs including uh, best film, including directing, mm-hmm. it got tons of stuff. It it, it kind of it swept a lot of the major categories. I think it maybe surprised people who haven't seen it, which is a lot of people. I would argue it is a lot of people because it um, is a very long German language film about the bleakness of war. But it is incredible. It's very it's good. A yeah. Beautiful, stunning, devastating film. And if you watch it, I don't think you would begrudge it any awards or any success because yeah. it is that good. Obviously, I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but you get to this point and. It's ridiculous. You can't put that up against everything everywhere all at once or Banshees of Inisherin. They're so completely different yeah. with different goals. And they're all fucking great, to be honest with you. It's but by this point, everybody's a winner. But um I you know, when once that started winning awards, you could mm-hmm. feel the momentum and you're like, it's gonna win it, it's gonna keep mm-hmm. going and keep going. Well, it has a worthiness to it that speaks to awards bodies, I think, in a way that everything everyone kind of never will, because as Ben said, it's a wild card, it feels a and more of an acquired taste. And more of an acquired taste. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, All Quiet on the Western Front is hard. It's it's a brutal, brutal film, and it's hard to take. But it is also completely accessible. You know, there's nothing particularly left field about it. It's not alienating. It depends if you're in the mood to watch it or not. Which I guess I have, a lot of people haven't been yet because mm. they're like, where did this film come from? But it is really, really, really good. And Banshees had a pretty good showing. What it won four, did it? It won four, including a lot of acting awards. Yeah. So Kerry Condon mm-hmm. won uh, uh, supporting actress. Yeah. Shifty Barry. Shifty Barry got supporting actor. Really happy for him. Both good job. He's the be- he is the best thing in that. Film. But interestingly, then because of the way some of the other categories went, the people who didn't win acting awards for that film were. Colin Farrell and mm. Brendan Gleeson, which mm. is kind of interesting in its own right. So Austin Butler won Best Actor for Elvis. Please I, tell me his speech, because I, I didn't watch the BAFTAs. Um, very much. He did sound yeah, did he not, un, not unlike Elvis. <laughs> so he said in an interview recently he has shaken off the accent, which he seems to have kept up in, you know, f- throughout the press tour over the past half year. Um, but in his speech the other night, he I mean, I don't I didn't hear him before he was in Elvis, but 
He doesn't sound unlike him still. If that's what you're asking, Chris. No, well, I was going to ask, did he just go through very much and then just well, leave the building? Because that would have been in character. Ignore everything I just said there. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine. No, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> Thank you for that thoughtful thank answer. I, I think he did say thank you in there, but there were more words. Did he mention his favourite movie, Bridge? Yes. Uh, Bridgerton, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what a sexy bridge. <laughs> so... Austin Butler won for Elvis. Kate Blanchett won leading actress for Tar, which is an undeniably incredible performance. That film is so built around the Kate Blanchett performance. Cannot begrudge that. But it does make me sad that Kihu Kwan and Michelle Yeoh didn't didn't get their Danielle Deadweiler yes. should be winning every award show that she's been nominated for. I've heard this. I've not seen Till, but Till, I'm, I'm, I'm thumping the Viola she, Davis drum myself. Viola Davis is incredible in that film. Extraordinary. I mean, we're getting onto the point here that every single winner at the BAFTAs yeah. was white, right? Every single one. Now, I mean, there's a lot to discuss there in terms of why that happened or how that happened or the enormous amount of baggage around that and the unconscious bias and every single thing that goes into it. But... Danielle Deadweiler, I mean, that aside, is so good. In t when I saw Till, I thought she's got it. And I'd seen, by that point, I think I'd seen Michelle Williams in The Fableman. I'd seen Kate Blanchett and Tart, and they're all great. You see Danielle Deadweiler, you're like, this is a genuine, a bit of a cliche to say, it is a genuine, she's a genuine force of nature. She is so nuanced and so powerful in that film. And after seeing it, I just knew she had it in the bag. So to have not even being nominated for the Oscars is a shock mm. in itself. You cannot, you know, you see Kate Blanchett in Tara and you're like, of course, she, this is an award-winning performance. But um, I'm shocked that Danielle Deadweiler is not getting lots of awards for a man's piece at the moment because she deserves it in that film. Does she kill a dozen men with a machete? I say the answer is no. Who does that? Viola Davis. Okay. I mean, that's a brilliant performance as well. And but this is Angela Bassett did the thing. Yeah, which... in but what do we feel about Ariana DeBose? Because I feel sorry for her. I, I feel slightly sorry for Ariana DeBose, who did this performance to kick off the ceremony that was kind of tongue-in-cheek and well-intentioned, but kind of came across, across in a really clunky way, where she was shouting out all the, uh, all the women in film, all the women in the room who were nominated in this like really high-energy, breathless rap to the extent that like, you got the sense that the people in the room couldn't quite hear what she was singing, uh, but it was cutting to their reactions as she was shouting out all the nominees in the room. While also, because she's been singing and dancing for two minutes at that point, is quite massively out of breath. Uh, and it was a, a, a quite a strange thing to witness unfolding on the night. Myself and Sophie were in the media room at the BAFTAs covering it live, mm. getting ready for all the results to, to come in. And yeah, the Ariana DeBose performance is kicking off and we were like what is what is going on i don't it know what's weird in person i'm sure in rehearsals it seemed like a good idea and i'm sure they were just trying to get it right and then i think what was weird on the night is it cut to every person's reaction who was being referenced and none of them knew what to do they with themselves. looked confused they looked like they didn't know what they'd heard or what they were seeing yeah. which i mean from our front end perspective as well 
also did not know. So you, you can't <laughs> can't hold that against them. Yeah. Ariana DeBose, I'm glad, seems to have taken it all in good humor because well, I do feel a bit sorry for her. her she did deactivate Twitter, but mm-hmm. there's been other stuff on socials recently that seems like she's kind of having fun with the fact that everybody um, has kind of picked up on. I think there was an intentionally slightly kind of tongue in cheek campy nature to not that whole sure. thing. Who knows? There's uh, needs, someone's going to do an oral history at some point. But she is amazing. She's incredibly She'll talented, and it makes sense to kick off your big award show with a high energy Ariana DeBose performance it just didn't quite land on the night uh, it's a shame it's a shame alright I think we've probably given the BAFTAs more time than it deserves quite frankly um, <laughs> anything else that happened in the world of movie news Avatar The Way of Water is officially the number three box office film of all time it has overtaken Titanic it has sunk the Titanic <gasps> despite James, James Cameron's Cameron, best efforts <laughs> yes <laughs> James Cameron just playing 4D chess with himself is incredible uh, so that's over 2.24 billion I think now for Avatar The Way of Water which is just a laughably huge amount of money that is bonkers mm. that is there's more money than you pay to subscribe to Pilot Plus isn't it just, <laughs> just it's, about it's borderline <laughs> it's borderline it's close yeah. It's, uh, well, it's, I think the value proposition is the same. A ton of cash. He has now directed three of the four highest grossing movies of all time. <laughs> I mean, in terms of flexes, that's quite a big one, right? It, it, yeah, <laughs> it is. And it still makes me laugh that there are people out there who go, but nobody wants an Avatar sequel. Nobody, there was no, there's no appetite for an Avatar sequel. And yeah. Avatar and, had no cultural impact. No, <laughs> yeah. It's like, um... We're going to go through the shit again in two years' time when <laughs> yeah, Avatar well, 3 comes out. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yes, well, well done, well done to James Cameron, and uh, yeah, only only the heroic uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe stands between him and domination of yeah. of the top four. How many of those box office receipts were just down to the Piacan hive? That's the question. Oh my God, yeah, Piacan has made a big old splash at the box office, <laughs> as he tends to do, ripping off the arms of the competition. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> generally having a whale of a time. Well, mixed scores, B. Hey, hey. I can't get out of it. Can't get, get out of it. it. Get into it. I hope James Cameron is happy with all his money because I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he said to us for our um, Empire Magazine cover story a few months ago that the film needed to make yeah. as much as the first one. I, he did say something. He right. said something along so the lines of it doesn't off, surpass so, it. It's yeah. not. It won't be a success. A success. But, so it's failed. I mean, yeah, <laughs> by, by one measure, yes, yeah. it is a failure. Again, oh, but well. the only person who can beat James Cameron is James Cameron, and the only person he can fail in relation to is James Cameron. That is just the level that he plays on. Indeed. And uh, speaking of James Cameron, he is talking about what he's going to be doing next. So he, I think he is as anxious as anybody that his next few movies, you know, you know Avatar 2, brilliantly and, and people love it but I think he's anxious that his next few movies are not just simply Avatar, Avatar, Avatar but they will be uh, well he says that that's not going to be the case he's saying that he's going to make a film called The Last Train from Hiroshima uh, after in between Avatar 3 and Avatar 4 and it's based on a book by Charles Pellegrino and it is about survivors of the atomic bomb the explosion in in Hiroshima obviously towards the end of World War 2 uh, so that seems wow. like a fairly weighty subject. Can I just say something about James Cameron this week? Uh, I've obviously always been a big fan of James Cameron. He's uh, he's my kind of guy. But he went on record this week defending Thanos 
and his environmental strategy. And it upsets me that Helen isn't here for me to talk about this, but he absolutely did, which I thought was uh, did he? was was interesting. Okay. Yeah. So now he be even more in your good books now? He is, yeah. Okay, yeah. good, 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 good. Did He's... he actually say... I will, I, will, I will get the quote for you. Hold that thought just a second, Alex, while I get it for you. Uh, he said, in an interview, he says, playing for time while he finds the link. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I agree with James Dyer. Basically, James Dyer is right. No, he says, and this is the quote from James Cameron, I can relate to Thanos. I thought he had a pretty viable answer. The, the problem is nobody is going to put up their hand to volunteer to be the half that has to go. Wait, so he doesn't He doesn't say he's got a point, but he did it badly. He's saying he had the right answer? <laughs> yeah. So Cameron stands Thanos. If we ever get Infinity Stones anywhere near James Cameron, we're all fucked. Well, it's true. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like Helen says this all the time. It's like, why does the bad guy have to be the one who's doing doing the good stuff but yeah. just in a bad way can the good guys try and save the world and save the environment as well there's a little bit of that at the beginning of quantum mania where you, you know he you know scott lang says oh hope's doing all these great things to try and change the world and 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 help the environment and things like that but uh it's a little bit like um sam jackson's valentine in matthew Vaughn's kingsman the first kingsman movie uh, he has the he has the right idea generally in that he's trying to save the world and trying to avert uh, you know environmental disaster. He's just going about it the wrong way by exploding thousands of heads at the same time. Very <laughs> colourful though. It Very colourful. I love yeah. that sequence. This is why James Cameron is making all of these Avatar sequels though, because once he's collected the top five box office movies <laughs> of all time, he's putting them all in a big glove <laughs> and then he can do, use that to do whatever oh the hell God. he wants. Yeah. Yes. And then he snaps his fingers and half a billion dollars will disappear. <laughs> or something. Yes, okay. Uh, all right, we don't have a lot of time left, so anything else? Yes. There is a film called The Pope's Exorcist, starring Russell Crowe as The Pope's Exorcist, in which Russell Crowe says, in this voice, you have a problem with me? You take it up with my boss. Where's he from? The Pope. There's <laughs> <laughs> a true quote from that trailer. Uh, he's from... Rome. He's is from he? the Vatican. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's, it's Russ, Russ doing it's, Italian. It's quite hard Australian. to do like gruff Russell Crowe and Italian at the same time, which even Russell Crowe would agree because Welcome when you hear his voice of gods and monsters, Padre, Welcome to some. a new world. As someone uh, said to me this week on Twitter, monsters. Welcome to a new world of popes and exorcists. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been. So he is playing the real life Father Amorth, who was a uh, partly an inspiration for The Exorcist. William Friedkin made a documentary about this guy. There is a factual basis, but this film looks absolutely bonkers stupid. Big, crazy, shouty, exorcisty stuff. I don't think it's necessarily... <laughs> I think it's taking a uh, The Conjuring approach yes. to the true story here. Very much so. Um, it, it, it could be fun. Could it's be from fun. Julius fun. Avery, the director of Overlord, which was pretty decent mm -hmm. and definitely a sort of calling card for whatever he was going to do next. That was a few years ago now, so I am intrigued to see what he's been cooking up. But there's some some wacky dialogue that I hope is as tongue in cheek as it sounds. Um, with yes, Russell Crowe flexing on his boss, the Pope. The Pope. The Pope. Uh, yeah, so real quick, just some other things. So Patrick Dempsey uh, is in talks to star in Thanksgiving, which will be Eli Roth's long-awaited feature-length 
version of the Thanksgiving gore-soaked Thanksgiving trailer that played as part of the the fake trailers that were made for Grindhouse. So we've never had Edgar Wright's Don't, for example. But uh, we are going to get Eli Roth's Thanksgiving and he's going to be making it very, very soon. Patrick Dempsey, uh, McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine his anatomy will be um, red in this because he's probably going to get killed. There you go. Uh, They're making a My Spy 2 Yay. Why spies? Why yeah. spy? Why spy? <laughs> I'll go one better. Yeah. Why spies? Why spy? Um, and there might be some other cool things happening. I don't know. There's there's not been a lot of movie news this week, if I'm if I'm completely honest with you, but but hey ho, there we are. Shall we have a guest? Yes. John Favreau, of course, is the director of Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Elf, Chef, which may be my personal favourite John Favreau movie. I love that film to bits. Uh, Seth Dura, he's the writer of Swingers, but over the, uh, the Jungle Book, The Lion King, anything else, Ben? What am I missing out? Cowboys and Aliens? Cowboys versus Aliens? Is it Cowboys versus Aliens? No, I think it's no, just Cowboys, Cowboys and Aliens. And aliens. And it's just yeah, Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Anyway, he uh, is of course the host of the Chef Show, the host well, of the Chef Show, on about for Dinner for Five, all that sort of stuff. But the last few years have seen him uh, become the creator and showrunner of the Mandalorian, which dum, is dum. my favorite piece of Star Wars in existence right now, and uh, it's back next week. <laughs> Alex is very, very confused. (laughs) We don't have the kazoo, so we just mouth jump it really hard. Extremely entertaining. How long does it go on for? A while. (laughs) Do have a hard out. I'm gonna have to turn to my whiskey. Yeah, I think I think it's probably wise. How's it end? It's good. Does it? Oh no! Does it end like that? Anyway, anyway, the Mandalorian is back next week, season three. The return of Mando and Grogu and Bo-Katan and Grief Karga, B-Peace and uh, all sorts of wonderful, wonderful characters. I cannot wait. Ben cannot wait. We're going to be doing spoiler specials, weekly spoiler specials. We're, we're back. We're doing weekly shows rather than that bit at the beginning, bit at the end, bit in the middle. That's how excited we are about the return of Mando and Grogu. And uh, John Favreau is in London right now. I'm going to talk to him in a London hotel room in approximately 25 minutes. <laughs> a bit tight for time. But we're going to make it happen. Okay, here we go. Here's me talking to Favs. Do please enjoy. Hopefully he's running late. Hey, because I know I sure as shit am. <laughs> we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the creator of The Mandalorian, John Favreau. How are you, sir? I'm great. I, I, I would say I missed you, but I just saw you last night. We're, just, yes. uh, we're actually continuing a conversation. Yeah, we are. Ways. We are. Uh, hopefully I'm not going to ask the same questions again. But Oh, uh, that's all right. Yeah, I had a great time. What a, what, a, what a treat to see it with that crowd and, uh, on the big screen like that. It was that really, was amazing. really nice. Yeah. For context, in case people don't really know, we we had a Empire event last night where, with uh, John and Tenton's. We did a Q&A for an hour, which was amazing. And uh, we actually showed... Chapter 16, yeah, the finale of season two, the rescue on the big screen. And yeah. you had never seen no, it on the big no, screen No, I've not seen that one. We, we have a few, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll prepare them for the big screen. You know, you have to do slightly different treatment for in post-production to mm-hmm. get it ready for the big screen. Uh, but I've seen, uh, I have never seen that one projected. It looked amazing. 
It was really it fun. sounded amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, one of the interesting things about The Mandalorian is, and we talked a little bit about this last night, is you've made this decision to write virtually every single episode, which, which is, yeah. as I said, is a very British thing to do. Yeah, you, don't yeah. have, you don't have the writer's room. But you've also taken a step back from directing. You've only really directed, what, one episode of I believe the just one, yeah, yeah the, with the Crate Dragon. Well, how yeah. do you not direct that one? <laughs> <laughs> do you earmark the one that you want to direct? Kind go, of, okay, yeah, yeah. It's got to be that yeah, one. Yeah. Well, why have you taken a step back? In, in oh, just, just purely um, logistical reasons. Uh, it's such a, it's such a, it's a marathon and a, and a, and a mad sprint at the same time, television. Uh, but I also have to say that it's, really nice to see and to work with other directors and and sometimes will you know you never get to collaborate as a film director with other directors very rarely mm. sometimes you hear stories like rodriguez will work with quentin or steven will direct some some work for george you mm -hmm. know but mm -hmm. that's all outlier you know situations but in television, it's it's a it's a team sport, and I have to say it's really gratifying, especially as I get older, to have younger, newer directors coming in, bringing their fresh energy into it, their insights, their styles, their perspective. But then me me also being able to pass down, you know, um, helpful lessons that could help them on their journey to become a you know a, a, a more experienced director. So very much in the uh, the Jedi Master fight. Yeah, it is. It does feel like an academy. It really does, <laughs> and it, it's it's really great. And then seeing the people that started off with us, like growing, and and then teaching other directors too. Like like Rick Famuyiwa was he certainly wasn't an inexperienced director by any stretch, but he hadn't done a lot of effects work, and he had come yeah. more out of independent film, more as an auteur out of the Sundance uh, system, and uh, and and so having him. The, you know, teaching him the, the the basics around how to make the effects in the Star Wars film and, and, and the innovations around the volume, you know, our big video wall that surrounds one of our stages. Uh, and now seeing him, him being one of the executive producers this season and being a really, you know, uh, uh, and teaching other other new directors who are coming up and helping them learn the system has been that's that's one of the more gratifying parts of the gig. So how do you how do you find directors? For the Mandalorian, right. well, sometimes it's as simple as you know uh, Peyton Reed wanting to visit the set, and he came by with the Russos, and they all came through, and he kind of lingered a little longer, and like, well, if you <laughs> ever, you know, because he's a huge Star Wars fan, he's like, this is so cool, and so he directed an episode that we showed uh, at the end of season two, so he visited in season one, and by season two, he came on board. Taika was just a phone call. Like, there's people who like Star Wars, and you're like, hey, you want to come and play? We're shooting it in town. Just come by, and we'll, you know, we'll help you with the prep. We'll, we'll, you know, and I'm, I'm in there. You know, although I'm not a director uh, on, on, you know, most of the episodes, I'm there till the bitter end with the visual effects and doing all the reviews. It, you know, in, in episodic television, you don't ask the directors to commit as much time as they would on a feature where they're there till the end. They always have the option to participate in all those aspects of post-production, but they're generally off to do other things. And I'm there finishing everything off and, and refining the edit and overseeing the music and post and, and showing it to them. But often they're, you know, it's, 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 it's just as new to them when they come back and see it. Uh, so there's, that's also fun that they get to see how it turned out. Uh, Peyton, though, actually stuck around all the way through, especially with all the Luke stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah so it's been, it's been an interesting, interesting process.
It's interesting the way you so casually mentioned the Luke stuff because obviously that was that was under lock and key for oh, the longest yeah. time. You, you told me the incredible story last night about even Pedro didn't know it was Luke Skywalker right. uh, for, for a yeah, while. It was least. Rosario. I think Rosario. Pe- Pedro? I think Pedro. Yeah, he said he wasn't in the scene. Oh, right. He was not in the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we filmed it. We filmed the scene without him. Yeah. When it was supposed to be Plo Koon, which was uh, a a different Jedi character that was named in the script and in the artwork. And we even had a uh, temporary effect of a temporary effect of a face, a CG face of an Mm -hmm. alien that was over it. And, And then we finally filmed the footage with with Mark and then we did the de-aging and uh, and that was all done on a day off with a very small crew with just the door behind it. I love that. So yeah, it was it was a lot of uh, cloak and dagger stuff. I love that Pedro is, is reacting obviously to you know to Grogu to yeah. you know to the, to the big emotional moment, but he's also reacting to what he thinks is Plo Koon, or did he know it was? Like- I think he knew because Max, the you know the actor that we had doubling uh-huh. him, looks a lot like him, and so so we we um we 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 had there was people were also were always constantly doing all sorts of things to to keep to hide our tracks yeah so we have a pretty savvy crew and word <laughs> i think word gets around i'm just glad that it didn't get all the way out to uh the public and so yeah. there were you know, there's been a lot of leaks there always is with star wars and that that's baked into the cake you have people who are curious people yeah. who are excited um they're passionate and they want to know more you know uh and and we were very fortunate that the two biggest surprises that we had had uh, both made it all the way to air. And we were, Peyton was calling me, we were biting our nails, checking, seeing, did it come out yet? Like right up until, because it was the last episode of the second season. So mm-hmm. every week mm-hmm. we're waiting for like something to hit the internet and it didn't. And so the Baby Yoda, the Grogu reveal mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. end of the first episode in the first season and, and the the last uh, scene in the in the in the second season with with Luke Skywalker, both made it all the way. <laughs> and I think with television, you have to surprise people. You have to have something interesting happen. And and that's why we hold back so much in our marketing materials. Because it's like I say, you know, I say to the Disney people, like, look, all we have is, you know, all we have is our is a sense of discovery. All we have is our surprises yeah. from week to week. Yeah, and that's different than a film where you know with film you want to get everybody in there the same day, Friday, or the first weekend for the film to be a success. But with with television, they, they could discover it, come back to it, and the audience could grow. And so you want to have excitement and conversation, discussion, and and uh, that that's that's the fun part of this this medium. Do you find? I mean, obviously we can't talk. About the details of, of season three, not yet. Hopefully, in a, in a few weeks' time. Mm-hmm. But it's for celebration. I'll be back right, here. Well, yeah, that would be that would be a hell of a thing. But It'd be right in the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of well, I'm not, not looking forward to those questions. <laughs> what happens next? Can't yeah, say. You can't say. <laughs> what did this mean? Uh, what do you think it meant? <laughs> but you know, I presume. Do you find in a, in a way that you find yourself bound by those moments to try and top them? In oh, season three, right? I don't know that you could. No, no, there's no, that's a that's a losing game. Yeah, you're never going to get the same uh, sense of discovery and you know of the first time you're meeting these characters or discovering the show. And there were no there were zero expectations around the show because it was it was in the midst of all the you know all the 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 theatrical Star Wars was coming out. It was right we were flying under the radar. Mm. So you know we were the opening band. 
you never get that's best it's best to be the opening band nobody expects anything i was like hey they're good you know uh so and then you and then and then when you're the the main event then then of course you're you know everybody's waiting is this better be great everyone wants a hits by that point as well so everyone wants everyone wants to hear the stuff that made you popular in the first right 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 which you know i'm all for let's let's play (laughs) let's play the hits uh uh, but you want it to be in a way, you know, you want to give them what they want, but you want it to be unexpected. You want to surprise. You want yeah. to also expand, you know, uh, but also bringing other legacy characters into it in season two, you know, getting those chess pieces on the board or, or getting, I should probably say, the action figures out of the toy box. <laughs> and uh, and so that was fun. And having all of those characters in play now uh, are great and introducing other characters and then and then uh, uh, giving the stamp of canon approval to certain extended universe uh, storylines and characters is also an interesting, uh, has been an interesting journey that we talk a lot about. What can you say about season three? I could say that this it, it, it is a lot of a lot of the storylines that were introduced are culminating. Uh, I think at a certain point the rubber's got to hit the road. With you know, <laughs> you have a lot of different Mandalorians with a lot of different points of view, and you have a culture that's been established in the Clone Wars that even before the the Empire you know uh, attacked them, uh, and there was the purge. There was civil wars that was, you know, that the, car- the, the the planet looked like, you know, a wasteland even before it was attacked by the Empire. Mm-hmm. People were forced to live in dome cities because of how much conflict there had been, and there were there were small periods of peace. But in the in the in the you know part of the part of the 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 consequences of having such a, a warrior culture is that. There's uh, often not a lot of cooperation. There's a lot of conflict, and so how could we work what we've established through these seasons? How how we could uh, make that uh, align with what had been established before through the work of uh, Dave and George in the Clone Wars, and and bringing all of that together and showing it play out and having you know and being ambitious and showing stuff that maybe is of a different scale than what we've seen yeah, before. It looks huge. You got it. You got it. At a certain point, you got to be able to do that. You know, you shouldn't rely on it, but you shouldn't you shouldn't shy away from it when it's when it's demanded. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, obviously you can't say too much at the moment about it. And really, for for a while now, since 2008, this is where you've been as a director. You've been in the realm of I can't talk about this project. That's right. Because it's spoilerific. Uh, I guess Chef was maybe the last time that you were. An open book as a as a project was was going on that you didn't have to, you yeah, because nobody cared. <laughs> so, Small independent know. film, John. But yeah, so I the, uh, they liked it. They cared when they saw it, but they didn't yeah. care ahead of time. That's what I mean. Um, yeah. it's not like they didn't care. Like they didn't care about cowboys and aliens, or they didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even after the fact. Uh, so it's I really don't. I really appreciate when people do care, and I really appreciate that curiosity. So. The fact that people want spoilers and the fact that people want to to know what's going to happen just speaks to their enthusiasm, and that that then you have a different set of responsibilities, which is, can I live up to what their hopes are? Can I fulfill their expectations? But can I do it in a way that they might not expect? Can they be satisfied with an outcome that might not be the one they anticipated, but one that feels equally or more satisfying? Mm. And that's the that's the game that that you have to play in this world. Because uh, the, the the audience is so smart, and and oftentimes we'll see people having uh, guessing at what's going to happen, or seeing halfway through the season and guess how things are going to culminate. 
And, you know, and Dave and I'll be like, wow, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> is that better than our idea? And sometimes it is. You but know? you're locked in by that point, aren't you? We're locked yeah. in. Yeah. But it does inform how we, we definitely um, respect and appreciate the insights that people have around it. And I can just tell by the questions I get. And only now do I feel like comfortable enough to, to, to have, have uh, a dialogue with people who've grown up and really know this stuff really well. Because, you know, you don't want to. You, you you always want to make sure that you're um, as respectful of the material as, as your audience is. And uh, and that's why it's been great to have Dave, and not just Dave, but the, the whole collective of people that you could draw upon. But we definitely make sure that we look at it, other people. You know, everybody has the right who work, who's working the production to weigh in, ask questions, uh, point out things that, you know, that they feel might be uh, idiosyncratic. And and so we, we really try to do our best, and, and inevitably things get by that that you know where you 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 don't you don't bat a thousand, but but you know we, we definitely work hard to to mm-hmm. try to make it as good and satisfying experience as we can. Uh, one of the things it's it's been an earworm, frankly, that's been lodged in my head ever since I saw the first episode of The Mandalorian, but certainly on my way over here, it's been playing all day. Is Ludwig's theme yeah. tune. Ah, that's such a great theme. Yeah, I mean, yeah. am I trying to do something within Star Wars that sounds yeah. like Star Wars, but sounds different? It must have been. Yeah, that's extraordinary that he was able to pull that off. It, it was a moment in time for him. He was just coming off of, you know, his career had been culminating. All of the, the you know, his collaborations with Ryan Coogler had been growing and growing. He'd beginning to be recognized for for his, his you know, his, his brilliant talent. And but he had paid his dues in episodic television. He knew the you know he knows all the the ins and outs, the mechanics of it. But he was really hitting this uh, this high this high point. And that theme, the first time we heard it was just great because it has a little bit of Marconi in it. A little mm-hmm. you know, a little good, bad, and the ugly. A little Ooh. right, a little, <laughs> and, and then and then a little John Williams like in there, yeah. like a mixture, but but not trying to emulate it, but just trying to respect it and it felt smaller but now as we get those themes have been established and joe shirley who he's been working with since the beginning is now stepping up and 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 uh you'll hear some the the music evolve because we've you know they've created over these two seasons uh musical language around different characters different cultures within the show and now a lot of these are going to be intersecting and it's so beautiful to see how the music reflects that Amazing. Um, I've got to wrap up in a second, but uh, I wanted to ask um, about uh, one of your early films, your first film as a director, Mm -hmm. actually, uh, Made, because um, I'm a huge Columbo fan. Okay. And you worked with Peter Falk. Of course, yeah. I just wanted to know what that experience was like. What was your Peter Falk experience like? Well, he was great because he was Columbo, but you got to realize that he, you know, he was one of the founding fathers of independent cinema, too, as a performer. Ben Gazzara, yeah. That's right. So... That was, you know, with him there and we had Chris Doyle shooting it, who's, you know, another, you know, our cinematographer who's also very independent minded. And there was a lot of, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of improv and swingers, but in this one, you know, with me directing, we I let it fly a bit. And uh, and he was there toe to toe, man, with Vince Vaughn, who's as good of an improviser, improviser as you'll ever find. And he was just fantastic. He was a great. He's just a great dude. I miss him. He was, uh, you know, just as passionate, uh, you know, in his later years as he was in the beginning. And mm. uh, 
And he's everything you hoped he would be, you know, because Columbo, part of what was so great about Columbo is it really just captured his persona. It was, it feels like it was tailor-made for him. He was overseeing it. He was even making them when I knew him. Yeah. It was still at the end. So that was his baby. And uh, to have a a work and a character that reflects somebody's uh, persona that much, it's it's no wonder it was so magical. And and the way it, the way Columbo flipped the, the, the structure that you saw the crime, you knew every, there was nothing to learn in that show. There was mm-hmm. no, it wasn't a murder mystery. It wasn't mm-hmm. Agatha Christie. You knew everything. And it was how it was revealed to him. That which is a testament to how interesting his performance was and his character was. That him finding out about it was more interesting than you finding out about it. <laughs> I think you pretty much nailed it there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you, you would have been a great murderer of the week mm-hmm. on Columbo. Uh, and have you considered having a, a detective like Columbo in The Mandalorian? That's interesting. No. No, I, I had not yet. That's one uh, thing Star Wars hasn't done yet. It hasn't done the murder mystery. It hasn't done the murder of the week thing. So. Had it not, I'll bet Clone Wars hit that. Hey, Clone Wars had so many played in so many genres. <laughs> I'll bet there. I'll bet we'll next time we talk. We'll I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Dave. We'll we'll come up with something. All right, yeah. all right, yeah. brilliant, John. Always a pleasure. All right, cheers. Thanks so much, Dave. Thank you. All right, so that was John Favreau and The Mandalorian Season 3 starts next week, March 1st on Disney+. And our spoiler specials will be going up pretty much on the same day that it comes out. <laughs> so give this time to digest the show and react to it accordingly rather than just rushing into a panicked verdict. That's the way we like to do it here on the Emperor Podcast. Anyway, speaking of rushed and panicked verdicts, it's time for the review section of the show. And we're going to start with a film that only Alex has seen. Um, it is Cocaine Bear. Elizabeth Banks' Cocaine Bear. I think I saw it. <laughs> do, do you remember uh, there was a bear in it and there was loads of cocaine a bear and bear uncovered in hair mm. yes yes uh, 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 c- correct well, I, welcome I, to the podcast Alex <laughs> <laughs> someone someone wake up Hicks cocaine bear <laughs> guess what it's about it's about a bear on coke and apparently this is a true story about a American black bear who somewhere in America in the 80s um, digested unwittingly a duffel bag full of cocaine i'm not sure what happened next i think it ended badly the bear died the bad the bear died it did not go well for the bear that has now been extended into a comedy action film (laughs) about that bear what 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 happened next that bear well he went fucking mental (laughs) and this is an hour and a half or so of the bear on cocaine rampaging so the the there's a guy, you know, there's bad drug people. And at the beginning of the film, one of them jettisons a load of duffel bags of cocaine off the plane. And throughout the film, the bear keeps finding them and keeps getting coked up. And I mean, how much do you want me to go into plot wise? Because that's pretty much <laughs> it. Um, it keeps eating cocaine. It keeps going crazy. It keeps finding people to maul and to scare and to chase up trees and to eat. It's re- it's directed by Elizabeth Banks. It's produced by Lord and Miller, who I think came on board a little bit later. Later. That might give you an indication of what the film is tonally, although I don't think it does feel very much like Lord and Miller. But it is an absolutely insane wackadoodle, no holds barred, very gory comedy in which, yes, a bear goes on a cocaine rampage and just keeps eating people. Um, it goes into cabins, you know, it goes you know, up trees. It just races around killing people. Now, this, this sounds great, but we've given it two. Yes, so, not you know, it's not very good. You've described a five-star film. But what- well, no, no that's, that's, that's the thing. It sounds like it's high concept, right? This is, this is back of a receipt 
The new snakes on a plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not far off. I was at the same screening that Ian, our reviewer, went to and um, enjoyed it about as much as him. It has potential because it, it's very silly <laughs> and it's a very, very uniquely flavoured film. But um, I, for me, the, it, it is an all-out comedy and it just fell flat. And there's a lot of, a lot of mauling in it, a lot of... <laughs> limbs being torn off and mostly it's played for laughs and i guess there is a world in which that could be funny but i don't know in this context for me it was just i it, it left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth and um it, there really isn't much more to it than that it's got an interesting cast um of people who I won't bore you with the details. It doesn't really matter who they play, <laughs> but um, the uh, 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 whole Bro- review should be like this: there are people in it, but I won't bore you with the details. Brooklyn Prince, who was in the Florida Project and who was great in that film, and who is good in this, just plays a kid who sort of is is bunking off school with a friend, and they. I don't want to spoil it, but um, they get into escapades and they come <laughs> they come across this bear and bad shit goes down. Kerry Russell plays the mother of one of them. Alden Ehrenreich gets involved with some of his friends. He's Ray, like, is Ray Liotta is one of his last movies? Ray Liotta, yeah. is it one of his? I think it might be his last movie. Um, this is not his finest performance. Uh, he's all right in it. You know, he's Ray Liotta. He, he gives the intensity. He plays it actually relatively straight. And he gives you the scary Ray Liotta that you always want from a film. But he's wearing a silly wig and he's in a film called Cocaine Bear. And he's basically the bad drug guy in it. This uh, feels a little bit like, I haven't seen the film yet, but we were really excited about this. This feels a little bit like Snakes in a Plane. Yeah. It's an outlandish concept and a title that makes you think, okay, I want to go see that. Yeah. And maybe it even began with the title. Although Snakes in a Plane did not begin with the title no, it didn't. Book well this Cain began with did. a true story and obviously you know the person who wrote it thought it's got to be something here and there was but not maybe not enough I'm, for I'm kind of film. here for this new sort of vein of say what you see filmmaking plane boat cocaine, cocaine bear, bear. It's, it's brilliant yeah we have More a ghost this, <laughs> we have a ghost it's literally yes. by people who say incredibly literal but we have a ghost might break the record for the number of times the characters in the movie say the title of the, <laughs> of the film that might be a new record uh, and how but many times anyway. they say plane in plane I don't, or Greenland I, I, in Greenland I didn't, I didn't count Greenland Greenland and it was Finland uh, <laughs> anyway two stars in for Cocaine Bear it's a shame five. it looks like a good night in the movies and, I, and to be fair I know there are people who are really enjoying this film I was not one of them um Maybe I'm a killjoy. Uh, next up, we have we have a ghost. We have we have a ghost, uh, Jimbo. We do have we have a ghost. This is maybe what not what people will expect from a Christopher Landon film. I would say uh, the man behind the Happy Death Day films, the man behind Freaky, who goes for fun but very very gory horror fun. Uh, and this is, I guess, horror in its subject matter, but very much not in its tone. So this is based on a short story named Ernest uh, by Jeff Manor, and this stars Jai Dallow Winston as a young boy named Kevin who's living with his dad who is played by Anthony Mackie and they move into their new house with his brother and his mum and when he is up in the attic he meets no surprises a ghost in the form of David Harbour uh, who plays Ernest the Ghost in the story I believe it's called Ernest because he looks a bit like Ernest Borgnine in this it's because he's wearing a bowling shirt with the name Ernest on it uh, he is a ghost but the scariest thing about him is probably his upsetting comb over and, and he seems like a very lovely man the only thing wrong being that he's you know dead so they have a kind of and he can't speak he can't speak yes can't this speak. is an interesting point so he is basically a almost silent performance from david harbour there's a lot, of, a lot of moaning a lot of moaning but not a lot of actual speaking but it's a really 
charming, touching, soulful performance, I thought, from him. And it's a lovely, almost Amblin-esque film. It feels like something from the 80s or 90s. Like, it's really sweet. It's got a lot of heart to it. I think the only thing that grounds it in 2023 is how spot on point they are with all of the social media stuff in here like they absolutely nail what would 100% happen if someone discovered a ghost which is someone would film it they would put it on YouTube people would come up with TikTok challenges I mean it would turn into a whole thing do the earnest challenge Like, it, I mean it's beyond parody but also painfully excruciatingly real some of those people are real TikTok oh are they yeah. well see I'm not really au fait with yeah. the TikTok influencers but that's good to know mm-hmm. um, but yeah like it's, like I say it's a lot of fun Tig Notaro is in there as a government agent who's like trying to hunt down ghosts is a little bit shifty there's almost like a ghost Ghostbustery aspect to it at one point, uh, and it becomes a kind of a, a sort of a romp to find out who Ernest really is, what happened to him, and maybe find him a measure of peace. Is it scary? No. Is it a horror film? No. It's a lovely little magical, heartwarming, almost like sort of family film, and it's just it's it's, it's lovely. It's cockle warming. I very much enjoyed it. Warms the cockles of the it heart. Does. All right. Well, we don't know what we've given it yet, um, but we will have a review for We Have a Ghost at some point. But I think James and I, where were you? I'm, I'm a spy. I think it's a lovely four, four star give, film. I'd probably give it somewhere between a three and a four, probably yeah. leaning towards the four star com- camp just because it made me happy. It made me happy. And there's a, there's a great gag where someone leaves out a window. Which made me laugh a lot. <laughs> yes, there is. It's very difficult yes, to make that. We funny, should point but... out there is uh, there are some uh, there's some interesting casting moments in there. There is a TV medium that I think will appeal to a lot of people. Yes, so, indeed. Uh, yeah. So I had a good time with it. Really, really good time with it, indeed. Next up, we have Joyland. Alex, as the mayor of Joyland, tell us about this film. <laughs> the mayor of Drunkland, more like. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't categorize me as a drunkard <laughs> in the podcast. There's Alex leaning into it. Yeah, no, this is a one-off. I'm never mention my alcohol troubles again. <laughs> you won't remember it next time. Who are you again? <laughs> Where am I? Um, Joyland. Okay, Joyland, which is com- nothing to do with alcohol whatsoever. This is a really, really, really touching family drama slash queer love story from Pakistan set in Lahore and focused around an extended family, um, but really anchored on um, young man Haida, who is childless. Um, he doesn't work, so he's seen as I think the bit of the a bit of the runt of the litter. Um, he is married to Mumtaz, who is a successful makeup artist, and everything's sort of okay. But there's an, a lot of there's a lot of pressure on him to do something with his life and provide a kid. Um, he then gets a job, which he says to his family is a manager of a theatre. In fact, he is a backing dancer at the theatre for an erotic. Uh, erotic show and he falls in love with one of the stars who is a transgender performer called Bieber and then what happens next is as you can imagine there are some secrets and there are some lies and there is some shit that hits the van Um, things come to the surface and he has to work out what the hell he's doing in his family um, as a new father while also falling in love with um, a transgender erotic dancer the family dynamics come to the head and there are a lot of arguments and a lot of trouble surfaces but at the end of the day it's actually a really really sweet sweet romance between these two misfits really who sort of traverse different worlds to find each other and it's basically not going to work out for them will it or won't it you'll have to wait and see it's not a sweet rom-com it's kind of there's a there's a deep sort of dark undercurrent to it because of the political 
backdrop, I think, that it plays out against. And the film has been controversial in Pakistan, which does not have a great record in terms of LGBT rights. Um, but it, I think it was banned there initially and then sort of came out censored later on. But it's not when you watch it, it doesn't feel like a controversial film. It actually feels like a really, really sweet, sweet romance and um everyone in it is fantastic it's sort of got these epic family operatics on one level but on the other hand it's really sweet and kind of small and naturalistic and everyone in it is really really compelling and easy to watch i really liked it a lot all right four stars in for joyland and the mayor of joyland alex is about to leave us you've got to leave you've got to run you've got a harder out than my heart out the top closing Oh, yeah. that's uh, a low blow. <laughs> a low blow. It's I, last orders. Sorry. I don't know if I want people actually believing <laughs> that I'm a terrible drunk. <laughs> we will make it. We'll we'll have we'll issue a disclaimer. Yeah. Thank you. Don't worry. It's all good. It's okay. all good. This is really nice knowing you. <laughs> I love you. Bye. This is my favorite podcast. Yeah. Bye, Alex. Bye. <laughs> All right, well, Ben's got to go as well now, haven't you, Ben? Where are you going? I've got to make sure Alex gets home safe. <laughs> um, You're his designated driver. <laughs> wow. Uh, I've got to go to the forge. I've got to go forge some Beskar. Uh, I want to okay. come to the forge. That's a pretty good excuse. I want to go to the forge what as well. What if I go with Ben? We'll leave you on your own. Oh, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> it's a shame that you went to university in Newcastle and you're not from Newcastle. Otherwise, you could have been Geordie LaForge. <laughs> that is true. Wow. That is true. Uh, I think on that note, we have to end the podcast. <laughs> really, I think that's it. That's pretty much it. Uh, so Luther is out this week. Just a couple of last things. Luther, the fallen son, is out this week. Oh, bye, Ben. Go on, go on, uh, run, go on. This is the way. This is the way. Quickly, this is the way out. Favs is waiting for me. Favs is waiting. <laughs> Bloody hell! Unbelievable. Uh, Jimbo. Yes. Luther, the fallen son. The big screen version of the BBC TV show starring Idris Elba as Lufa is out this week in cinemas. It is. Uh, but it's out on Netflix in two weeks' time, which is when we'll be reviewing it, because I don't think we've got an official Empire review we yet. We do not have the official Empire review yet, no. Yeah. But as a Luther fan, thumbs up, thumbs I down. I love Luther. I do genuinely love Luther. It is one of my favourite shows, and I uh, I won't go off on a big old monologue about it. I will save that until we talk about the film. But what I uh, what I enjoy about Luther is it's less a crime show, and now film, and more a dark fantasy which is very much up my alley so yeah Lufa 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 love it oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ my god uh, the new film from the uh, fantastic Japanese director Hirokazu Koreeda is out this week it is called Broker uh, I haven't seen it yet <laughs> it's only James is here James hasn't seen any films I haven't seen it <laughs> uh, but uh, we've given it four stars uh, so go and check that out this weekend as well looks absolutely fantastic and I can also heartily recommend Asif Kapadia's latest movie, which is Creature, which is a filmed version of the English National Ballet's Creature, a show that they put on recently. Uh, it, it was uh, choreographed and designed by Akram Khan, and it, it stars Jeffrey Sirio as a, uh, as, a, as a creature, essentially, who is birthed or um, given life to in an Antarctic research lab. And there he forms a bond with the, 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 the janitor, the uh, lady janitor that he really takes a shine to. And it's this beautiful, evocative, haunting, enigmatic uh, piece of ballet on the big screen. And I know what that sounds like, hmm. but I thought it was absolutely terrific. 
terrific, visually is great, the dancing is astounding, the music is great. Andy Serkis, who's the bad guy in Luther the Fallen Son, not with a wig, but with his actual hair, is provides a little bit of voiceover, a little bit of a little bit of his voice to this movie as well. And it, it dazzled me in a way that I did not expect, but uh yeah, really, really great. All the fun of the circus. All the fun of the circus in that one as well. So I would heartily recommend you go see Creature when it hits a big screen this week. As Asif Kapadi has been saying, it is a, a an experience designed for the big screen. So go see it on the biggest screen possible. Anyway, that's it. I think we blundered our way to the end of yet another Empire podcast. Perhaps a more truncated review section than we <laughs> would normally like, but we were we, we were losing people. And then there were two. And then there were two. And it's then like there will soon be one. I might, have to, Agatha Christie I might have to leave you to uh, to save this onto <laughs> onto my onto my file uh, onto my onto my drive. Otherwise, I uh, I may have to run because I've got to run because I've got to do fabs. But anyway, join us next week for more filmulated fun when we'll be joined by Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Podden, more like, because he is <laughs> returning as Adonis, Adonis Creed, Adonis, Adonis Creed, actually, in Creed 3, but he's also the director of that movie, and we'll be getting into that. Very, very exciting indeed. And Christopher Landon, the writer-director of the aforementioned We Have a Ghost, will also be our guest on next week's show. Very, very exciting uh, indeed. Will Helen be back? I don't know. Will James be back? I hope not. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to say, but you never know. You never know. Anyway, that's it. It's goodbye from my colleague of such lethal kind. <laughs> Bye, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, James. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to run across London and interview John Favreau and hopefully Liz, freshly minted, Mandalorian coin will be enough to get me into the room with him. Thanks for listening. This is the way. Bye.